Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm going to read a following excerpt from the comic book Boba Fett, Twin Engines of Destruction. I'll be reading for the part of Dengar, a surly sidekick, trusted. Uh, you'll be reading for Boba Fett, the armored mysterious bounty hunter. Uh, any questions before we begin? Uh, when do I get my costume? <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, perfect. Just superimpose that over me. Boom. Nicely done. Uh, <laughs> the setting is Dengar and Boba Fett are returning from an evening of beverages and plotting for their next hunt. I shall begin. So Manru decided she didn't want anything to do with this hunt. I think it boogs her out that uh, sometimes, I mean, her being a tech empath and all. You know what I like about you, Fett? You're such a sparkling conversationalist. Sometimes it's better to think than to speak. So did Cass Yelnick get booged out by your Sarlacc scars? Those things will probably never go away. No wonder you never show your face. This is my face. Welcome to Age of Disclosure, a Boba Fett conversation. Uh, you happen to be in the company of two Boba Fett Illuminati. What is that, you might ask? Well, by the end of this conversation, you'll know. But what are words without context? Allow me to do some introductions. Uh, I'm with Stephen Jubber. Um, a son of South Africa, but currently in the land down under. Uh, how does this auspicious uh, occasion find you, Stephen? Well, you got me twisting at the moment because I didn't ask this up front before we did our line read, but I didn't know if you wanted a, a Maori accent or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went with OG Boba Fett, but I could have just as easily, I suppose, gone with, this is my face. Well, Jason Wingreen approves of your decision. Uh, among, mm -hmm. among other things, Stephen is a friend, fellow collaborator, and a creative soul, and also a professional actor. Uh, Stephen, Semi-retired. <laughs> Stephen, you've done some acting on the screen. Uh, seen here, uh, bossing up for Nat Geo. Uh, what do you remember about that particular shoot? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny. You oftentimes watch recreation uh, documentaries and true crime, that sort of thing, um, thinking who are these poor hack actors that they get to do the dramatizations. But let me tell you, when you're actually on location playing soldier, uh, it's great. You feel like you're in some kind of big budget action movie. And that was exactly what that was about. So I played a real-life um, army ranger medic called Ron Shura. And uh, it was a, a reenactment of, a, I think it was a Delta incursion into Afghanistan uh, to look for two high-value targets, which had actually left in that, that same period. But uh, these poor guys were still left assaulting some horrible hill with a whole bunch of um 
or what would they be called? Taliban, I suppose, commandos at the top, shooting yeah. down at them. So this hairy situation. Um, the hairiest it got for the, the actors was they exploded some pyrotechnics above us. And B camera was actually on me at the time. I was kind of patching someone up in like a bit of cover. And uh, the cameraman, after he stopped rolling, after they called cut, was like, dude, you're on fire. And I was like, oh, thanks. I uh, know. I mean, uh, like my, my, my wife's a, a, a doctor. I asked her, like, what would I be doing in this situation? He's like, no, dude, you're on fire. He wasn't referring to my acting chops. <laughs> uh, I had actually caught fire. My my costume was well. Uh, wardrobe it's started, it's definitely. Uh, wardrobe definitely showed up. You looked good, man. Uh, what are you <laughs> thinking in this photo right here, where you're looking at the camera? Gee, I wonder. Um, I hope my sunblock is thick enough because I don't want to burn. No, I don't know. Jeez, Cooge, honestly, like, what what is anyone thinking? Uh, four years ago, in a moment, like when a camera goes off. Um, well, maybe I'll open add to a interpretation. Caption. <laughs> yeah, do, I'll do add your a worst. that picture. Uh, but uh, the screen is one thing. I'm, I'm more curious, actually, about your acting on the stage. Uh, you've acted in how many countries, my man? Ooh, okay. Um, hmm. South Africa, obviously, is a given. Uh, I've acted here in Oz. I've um, done extensive tours in the, the Far East. I've done 13 cities in China. And mm. each of them, these bloody massive megalopolises that seem to have sprung out of nowhere for the most part. Um, mm. And amazing theatres. I've worked in the UK. I've worked in uh, Ireland. Um, I don't think I've worked continental Europe ever, which is a yeah. shame. Uh, I've done dance competitions in Germany, if that counts. Maybe um, we'll see some of those photos right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Of of the many productions you were a part of, um, what's your what's been your favorite role to play? Oh man, well I must say that being you know a young man, perhaps not quite handsome enough to be uh, cut out for the the silver screen, but certainly um, good enough to be seen from the front row of a theater. Uh, you start out playing these kind of heroic prince charming type roles, which I mean, every story needs them, right? A, a romantic lead, but you quickly grow tired of them and you're sort of stuck in a rut of the same carbon copy character in every single show, whether it's musical theatre or something for children's theatre or dramatic theatre or Shakespeare. It's always the same thing, right? So you're oftentimes trying to break out of that. And it took me a while, but eventually... Maybe it's because I got a little older, a little wrinklier, um, started growing the beard in a little bit more. But I started playing the villain and have never looked back because they have the best fun, I, don't they? It's, uh, it's debatable. Uh, well, hey, if Morrison can still turn up at age 60 for Boba Fett, your career's not quite over, my man. Um, before we get <laughs> away from that... He's, he's, he's been given a far more virtuous twist to Boba Fett. I mean, he's not, mm. he's not playing an out-and-out -out villain anymore. Which, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not. No. Uh, let me let me go there for a second. Leading man versus mystery man. Which which do you prefer playing? Hmm. I and that's not to say a leading man can't be mysterious. Perhaps the most strongly written leading characters do keep their emotions very close to the chest. 
Um, but yeah, look, there's nothing, nothing that could top um, a good mystery, and it does hold an audience in its thrall. Uh, there's something more intriguing about a character that is um, far more introverted, far more secretive, and has a secret to keep. I haven't had many opportunities to play a mystery, but uh, on the handful of, of opportunities that I've had to do that, it's it's always been a thrill. So yeah, give, give me the mystery. Sam, let's take let's take that uh, an opportunity to uh, send out some good vibes. Who was the director along the way that got the best out of you, or the performance that you ended up resonating with? It's a bloody good question. Look, every director is a director you can learn from, even if objectively they're bad directors. But um, the greatest sort of actor director that I've ever worked for had this great style of keeping the pace going. Um, in any performance, you think about your dialogue and your scene in terms of beats. Every time there's a change of beat, your character's motivations or, or what they're trying to get out of the scene is shifting si slightly. Um, and if you've spent too long in one particular vein or train of thought or beat, this director would just click his fingers. He wouldn't even watch the play. He'd kind of be just skulking the back of the auditorium, but he listened to the music of the script. And if the music of the script seemed like it was dragging or if an actor was indulging too much, if the, the rhythm wasn't feeling good, uh, he'd click his fingers and you'd have to quickly jump to the next cue or the next line or the next bit of physical action. So, and, and he was a musician, so he had a very musical understanding of like how words can develop a rhythm. And one shouldn't try and break down that rhythm until you've got a really important juncture that needs to be kind of emboldened by a, a sudden change in pace. So build, 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 build till there's this kind of pressure cooker moment and then whew, decompress. He was a master of that. Really good. Care to drop his name? <laughs> uh, what's in the name uh, he was longtime UCT University of Cape Town um, drama uh, lecturer and head of departments his name was Chris Weir name is Chris Weir Chris is still with us cheers to Chris mm, indeed uh, mm. just before we move on to the greatest man in sci-fi mystery uh, let's uh, circle back to the um, acting on several stages in several countries now, when you're on stage, do you get a different energy from different countries, different cultures? Probably the most simplistic way to answer that is um, it depends on how deeply an audience can engage with the script. Um, I've always performed in the English language, and you can imagine in the stages of the Far East, be it China or even Singapore, where English is the predominant language, like spoken English uh, can often be a bit of a bar. And in China, they actually had titling on either side uh, in Mandarin. Um, hmm. So comedy becomes difficult because the punchline is delivered out of sync with <laughs> the way it's flashing on the screens. Um, and the language is often written in a certain way that, that doesn't make sense when translated. There are no direct translations. Um, that that would apply. It's almost like they have to find an analog in that language, but that would then diminish the truthfulness of portraying the piece in the same words. So that's always a complexity. 
Um, but physical comedy is universal. So you really get a rise out of, out of any kind of physical gags or snafus um, when you're in the Far East, particularly. I'd say uh, the USA leads the charge in terms of the warmth of response. Hmm. But I think, I think Americans, I mean, this is a horrible generalization because, of course, people are people and people are different everywhere in the world. But there's a sense in America where appreciation should always be shown very vividly. Like, hmm. if something's funny, don't just laugh. Laugh, laugh generously enough that it hits the well, it, it bounces off the audience and hits the, the stage. Like, the actors know that you find them funny or that the moment was played well. It's a, it's a great feedback loop. And it's very peculiar to, I think, North America. It's kind of funny. You, uh, you got used to lag before you were live streaming. So that is comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Lag was pretty bad in the early noughties, and that was kind of when I was starting out. So hmm. maybe, maybe they landed at the same time. Maybe I've always been working with a delay. You are ahead of your time, my man. Uh, shall oh, that, we get to? Uh... Not explain why I'm not that smooth live. Like, no, I'm I'm used to having a bit of a buffer. <laughs> You're in good company. Um, shall we get to the man of the hour, Boba Fett? Please, yeah, man. Oh. Stand down, Stephen. Speaking of mysteries, we're talking about a character who, in the original trilogy, had an, had enough lines that they fit on a tweet, and I'm not talking those. 280 character bloated tweets. I'm talking the original 140. Uh, when you were oh, first introduced... He was ahead of his time, man. <laughs> when you're first introduced to this uh, helmeted, armored character, what was your first impression? Oh, it's the look that sells him, right? Hmm. Um, I think as a child, you particularly connect with, with design and costuming because... You're thinking about this in an imaginative sense. What fun concealed treasures or trinkets or weapons or, or gizmos could Luke's farm boy outfit possibly conceal? Nothing. He's what you see is what you get. Character like Boba Fett, like you don't even need accessories. This figure is his own set of accessories. And you can sit with this in your lap and ponder well, what does that thing do? And what do those knee protrusions do? And what are those things poking out of those pockets? Like, there's an immediate appeal to a character like this versus a character like this. And I'm talking about the Man of Steel right now, but yeah, all your hero characters pretty much fit the bill of like being what you see is what you get. Uh -huh. Boring. Well, let's not, speaking of accessories, let's not forget about the gun that's probably responsible for more imaginary deaths than any other piece of plastic in our lifetime. That's one point at the screen right now. The Star Wars <laughs> blaster. <laughs> uh, let's talk Boba Fett's arsenal. Um, Mine's on the floor, damn it. Mm, it's, it's a lot smaller than the old gentle giant here. Cheers, guys. Uh, what what was your favorite Fett weapon? And, and you can bring into account the book of Boba Fett, of course. Um, I'm not going to bring the book of Boba Fett into it uh, because I don't think it really showcased his weapons. The Mandalorian was far, far more successful at, at doing that, unfortunately. 
or fortunately. Um, but I think a book was responsible for for highlighting one of Boba Fett's coolest hidden weapons. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. You know I am. Oh, of course. So that is my Boba Fett Bible before long before we had any kind of live action additional material. Um, I wasn't that okay with the Dark Horse comics, but that collected novel of of bounty hunter stories, you know, the the Executor Six, as it were, um, mm. that stuff became my most often read and reread Star Wars material. And in it, Boba Fett dispatches a room full of guys that he wants to kill by just venting a poison gas, mm. like a nerve toxin, and they all turn into these coughing, spluttering, you know, they, they just turn, turn purple and choke out and die. <laughs> and I just thought that is, that is the coldest way to, to dispatch an enemy. Like they're just, they're in your company one second, breathing normal air, the next second they're, they're coughing up their, their organs. And Indeed. Boba Fett's just standing in the middle of it, like, sorry, you shouldn't have threatened me. I pressed that little stud on my belt and now you're history. Not as dramatic as the noisy cricket that the Mandalorian had. But uh, the I did, birds? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a uh, whatever. I was a fan of the wrist rocket. Um, of course, Destro would adopt that technology. But I think mm, the book of Boba Fett won me over with the knee darts, you know, the accenting the, the knee movements. That was pretty dope. <laughs> it does seem like a strange way of firing something, though, to mm. lift your knee. It certainly has no way of aiming. I watched a great YouTube clip which slowed down. I forget the creator's name, unfortunately, so hopefully we can find it and credit him. But um, he slowed down that battle to 20, uh, 0.25 speed and those costume elements were actually tweaked in post to swivel so that it lined up the direction of the shot with the the nozzle of the weapon hmm. because obviously you know the actor in the suit on the day isn't lifting his knee to exactly the right angle he would need to fire a shot off and take out a target in front of him so and yeah Nice. <laughs> no of course i mean it's so quick that you wouldn't catch it otherwise but like yeah these clearly these knee dart launches have some kind of hidden servo system that locks onto a target and just direct them just an infinite an infinitesimal amount you know up down left or right to uh fire accurately it was a thing of beauty uh speaking mm. of actors uh do you have a favorite boba fett actor um he's been portrayed by a couple I think the actor is unimportant, to be honest, Kuj. I, I almost wish that um, that there wasn't a character in the suit or, or an, a named actor in the suit because I'm totally disinterested with the man with his mask off. Um, mm. That's not to be taken as a slight on Tamara Morrison's performance, um, though... Maybe maybe it should be. Maybe I should be getting controversial here. But I think if you're seeing the actor more than the costume, something's wrong. Some Someone's uh, forgotten what makes Boba Fett cool along the way. Mm. Um, and, and just taking the mystery out of the mystery man is recipe for disaster. And I think that is at the heart of the lukewarm reception 
that the book book of boba fett is at so uh, my answer to your question like i don't want to know an actor in in it doesn't matter as long as the silhouette is right it's correct hmm. um yeah i like that it it peter weller uh robocop Mm -hmm. was selected not only because of his acting chops but because he has a very very lean physique and it made the armor look good uh didn't paul verhoeven initially think like a bodybuilder like arnold would have made the the ultimate robocop and then they slapped the armor on him and it was like <laughs> no no this is ridiculous so well there's no, a lot think... to be said for casting someone who has this kind of svelty. I mean, Timothy Oliphant looked pretty good. Not gonna lie. He did. He has a tall drink of water in that armor. Yeah. Anytime yeah. you can bring Get up... back to him, please. <laughs> anytime you can bring up Peter Weller, I'm in favor of that. Um, let me save you for a second. I do think uh, the voice of Jason Wingreen really set the table for Fed, and I did like his body language in Empire. So I'll probably break with that actor. But my favorite Boba Fett actor has to be Mark Austin Special Edition, uh, mostly because, A, his tweet game is tight, and I did get <laughs> to interview him uh, at EmpireCon in L.A., and I'll drop that interview uh, right down there. So, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Do we know who tended their voice talents on the holiday special? Hmm, not did offhand. They yeah they didn't reuse the same actor for empire did they i don't think so i'll probably get schooled mm. by somebody in the comments but um yeah we slipped there uh not yeah. every great character gets a great exit i believe boba fett is responsible for maybe one of our first subverted expectations in return of the jedi uh do you recall how you felt when you saw that exit did it affect your view of the character? I think I thought as a child that is a horrific way to die. Because those words of C-3PO's, you know, translating Jabba, uh, they, they loomed pretty large for me. Like, you will find a new uh, definition of pain and suffering as you are slowly digested for over a thousand years. So this is a creature that extends your lifespan to make you part of this kind of soup of digested victims um that was horrifying i thought that, like i suppose cynically you could say what an absolutely badass way for a guy to meet his end like to actually live in this torment like that's that's bad news man um but now as an adult i must say i'm thinking like boba fett's exit is an important lesson to us all that you can be a serious threat, have a cool outfit, an amazing ship, um, a calling card that is on speed dial with Darth Vader, and still go out like a punk. You know, a mm. tap from the pointy end of a stick wielded by a half blind smuggler. Yeah, Hello? yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You do have to turn up every day. Um, but, you know, the fans weren't having it. Everybody loves a good comeback, including Disney. Uh, your thoughts were... <laughs> that's, 
save the best for last. Uh, we're fresh off of the finale of the book of Boba Fett. Um, has your opinion of the character changed for the better, for the worse? How are you feeling about him right, right now? Uh, I think I jumped off the Fett bandwagon a long time ago. A lot longer than Book of Boba Fett, Mando. I think I kind of fell out of my joy with the character when I saw him as a surly child in mm. Attack of the Clones. And I thought to myself, well, it's interesting. It's valid. I mean, this is George Lucas's interpretation of the character, and he authored Star Wars. You know, <laughs> whether we like it or not, uh, he's responsible for everything, the good and the bad. So this is where he saw it, and I can't argue with that. But like, ah, uh, Star Wars, man, it just it 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 always hinted at such a larger world. Uh, you know, when when Obi Wan's talking about the Clone Wars for the first time, you're like, what? There was this huge galaxy-spanning battle with clones. No, it turns out we made the clones, and then the clones turn on us. I mean, it's there are layers of 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 things that we hinted at that we then went off and made up in our own head cannons. And now we're seeing them, you know, become Disney fodder and become too exposed uh, and, and stories that never were intended to be told, being told to death because they got to make that money, man. Um, yeah. And, and Boba Fett is a victim of that, isn't he? Ooh, Overexposure. Mm, I'm not ready to drop that just yet. Uh, give me some high points, some things that you caught in episodes, some plot points, anything that uh, you enjoyed about said series, said book. Okay, um, seeing the Nubian N1, I think that's what they call it, the, the Naboo Starfighter being dusted off, that was a surprise. Uh, it's totally wrong for mando's purposes i guess you know he's a changed man i guess he's no longer a bounty hunter so maybe something with a bit of speed and absolutely no capacity for a bathroom even <laughs> maybe that fits with his personality um but that was a genuinely thrilling sequence mm -hmm. um, just grab you by the balls space starfighter flying and and shot with the kind of savvy that makes you know that sets modern Star Wars apart from like the prequel era where we are seeing very photoreal very exhilarating um CGI presentations it almost captures the model work of your seeing something physical on on the frame with like like a like a little bit of a heat um uh oasis coming off the engines and the the soundscape it's a True. sequence that demands your attention, not only viewing, but like put the earphones in or turn up the volume on your surround system if you've got it and, and really just let it pump because flying through Beggar's Canyon, I'm always, ah, this is pod racing, man. <laughs> That's great. Oh, so yeah, I've yammered on about that sequence enough. What else was good? Uh, tell you what wasn't good. No, okay. Um, I'll say I'll leave it at that. That's the, that's the high watermark of it. And I've often maintained that like, I'm all about the ships. Mm. Just give me more starships. Seeing the Slave One pelting those bikers was pretty badass too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a good way. Uh, I think... Uh, Criminally underutilized, I'll say again. Yeah, true. True. 
let's see. I think start strong, end strong. I thought the series worked. Uh, I did enjoy the introduction of kind of the techno synthwave music and that little gang. As cheesy as some people took them, hey, why not? Um, and I think, uh, I mean, Boba Fett ends up riding a Rancor. What do you want? That was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, I think uh, just to take a personal turn here at the end, uh, obviously, Viva La Fette. Maybe we'll see him again. Uh, but thank you for mentioning a different Mandalorian-clad uh, warrior, and that would be uh, Disney's own Mandalorian. Uh, you can't every- not. They're in the same breath now. Every badass has a soft spot. Um, eventually, your Grogu is going to come along. <laughs> He's already here, Cooch. Yes, he is. Uh, recently, your wife, Kim, gave birth to your son, uh, Elliot. Yeah. Uh, just in closing, how has uh, your Grogu changed your life uh, so far? <sighs> oh, man. Um, well, I mean, my, my current life is completely unrecognizable to my old. What am I saying? What, 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 the shape my life has taken now bears no resemblance to the life I had before. That's a better way to rephrase it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's no less uh, incredible. In fact, you know, I, it's a game changer in the sense that it makes everything that came before seem of little to no consequence. It's like everything I've done to this point has just led me to this point. And like, this is, this is my life now. This is where I'm putting my energy. This is, and, and it kind of takes the pressure off you in a certain way. Um, because all of a sudden you don't feel this burden to be somebody or be, be a success. Uh, being a good father is good enough. Hmm. Well, as it pains me to say, uh, search engines platforms might just outlast us if uh elliot should find this holocron along his journey uh, what's some mandalorian or boba fett like advice that you would impart watch out for half blind smugglers with pointed sticks <laughs> had to go there had to go there twice no less oh gee mm. Mm. that's fair no, that's fair man. I think that's that's all you're gonna get out of me. What I I if this outlasts me, um, which it most likely will, but it's so buried by the <laughs> immense amount of content that exists on the internet. But if if young Elliot was to find this, I guess I'd just say to him like, I I hope I did you proud, my son. I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed your childhood. Mm. I hope we had fun. Yeah. Let me chase that, uh, Elliot, if this should find you, my man. Uh, your armor is going to get dented up along the way. Don't quit, brother. And also, your dad was a real one. He lived life. He understood the assignment. So cheers <laughs> to you, Stephen. <laughs> I love you, my boy. Thanks, There Chris. it is. Yeah, you got mm. it, my man. Uh, in closing, personal platforms, you happen to be the one of the founding members of an international podcast. Uh, known as G.I. Joburg, where, among other things, you chat uh, action figures. Uh, let me drop some stats real quick. Over 180,000 downloads on Podbean, 
and 1.5 million views on YouTube so far. Uh, Steven, just in closing. When did they give me the damn plaque, man? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. it ain't over yet. Uh, what's, uh, what is that podcast? Uh, maybe mention some of the, uh, other members of it in closing. Well, the podcast is GI Joburg and, uh, Cooge, you remember that podcast, are you not? As far as I can tell, uh, our former West coast correspondent now living up in the mountains. Crazy talk. Um, and we, we can be found everywhere. Instagram, Twitter. Twitter just passed 3K. Thank you very much. Uh, Cujo is the custodian of the Twitter sphere. Uh, we do the Facebook group and page. Um, and of course, YouTube. And your podcatchers. We talk on a weekly basis, uh, particularly about G.I. Joe, but hey, anything's and everything's under the microscope. Oh, yeah. That's right. And Mr. of Fett. course, uh, cheers to Paul and Rob, who are no doubt catching this in post. <laughs> yeah okay mm. if you say so <laughs> paul will leave it on while he's doing his art chores and rob will remain blissfully unaware not true not true. <laughs> uh, and i'll quiz him on it answer that uh original question why are steve and i boba fett illuminati well if you look in the details below i believe you'll find uh, a synthwave album called fet wave in which Steven does have a monologue, and I am featured as well as a producer, etc. Enjoy that, and uh, I believe that this has been our age of disclosure, my man. Oh, and you know what? If we end it in the next 15 seconds, it will have been 33 minutes. So, well, then let's end it on this. Mm. Cheers, guys. Until next time.